Hello, everyone, and welcome to this special edition of Employment Matters, brought to you by the Employment Law Alliance, the world's largest network of labor and employment lawyers from the best law firms around the globe. I'm your host, Pete Waltz. Well, today's a special day. It's Tuesday. And on the Employment Matters podcast, that means Travel Tuesday, where each week we get the chance to dial in our members from all around the world, and they share with us important things we need to know about doing business in their jurisdiction. Today, we're going to be learning more about doing business in Bermuda, one of my favorite places. I'm pleased to welcome to the show, Juliana Snelling, Director at Canterbury Law Limited. Juliana, how have you been? It's exciting to have you on the show today. Good morning from Bermuda, and I'm excited to be here. Thank you, Pete. Lovely to see you. So, Juliana, I've been there before. It's a spectacular place, and I think a lot of people think of Bermuda like, oh, you know, I got my honeymoon in Bermuda. I actually did have my honeymoon in Bermuda. But they don't know much about the economy, the population, the business structure, because I know a lot of businesses set up their entities with Bermuda in mind. Can you give our audience an overview of the jurisdiction, what it's all about? Absolutely, Pete. And thank you for loving Bermuda. I am Bermudian. I was born here. My dad was a fisherman born here. So I lived in California, France, England for several years and came back because I had to start paying tax there. And we only have a 6% payroll tax, it's called. So that draws all Bermudians back home eventually. But in terms of the overall jurisdiction, getting to know Bermuda better, we are still one of the overseas dependent territories left, whereby the Queen is our head of state. But we are the oldest self-governing former British colony in the world with a population of just under 64,000 and the most multiracial place I've ever been or lived with 54% Black population, 31% White, 8% multiracial, and then other. There's like a 3 or 4% Portuguese population of descendants from the Azores, including my grandparents. So you get an interesting show of Portuguese language on the streets too. Our official language is English. We follow the common law of England. We even have laws left over from 1612. We were colonized in 1609 with a shipwreck, the sea venture of trying to get to Jamestown, Virginia, but people stayed here, fortunately for me. So we follow English common law over hundreds of years, but we also have our own legislature, a bicameral House of Representatives and Senate, and we create our own laws. But where we can't find the law we will go to English law or other Commonwealth jurisdictions. As for Bermuda, the economy, the business, we are a reinsurance market of the world booming. Despite the bad news of our national debt of $3.35 billion that we're struggling with and our aging population and 10% inflation over the past year on a basket of goods, all of which causes many people to struggle here, the reinsurance market is booming with the rising interest rates and investment income, incredible with loads of startups going into 2023. And in the employment sphere, that's what Canterbury Law does. We advise CEOs and CUOs and CFOs on you know, their contracts of employment here. And they will be primarily be from markets like London or New York or you know, the States in England primarily or Canadian and set up their contracts here because they're moving to join the booming reinsurance or captive reinsurance industry here. Traditionally, we were a tourism-based industry. My dad, the fisherman, commercial fisherman, and I know, Pete, you love fishing, but that has been far surpassed by international business, we call it. 
who employ about 4,300 people in Bermuda, including 50% of those Bermudian. So giving opportunities to locals as well to benefit from the economic climate. It sounds like it's a small island. We bring 4,000 people in, the rest are Bermudians. But what are some of the key issues that businesses have to address when they bring people into Bermuda to employ them locally? So that our countries that are listening and saying, gee, I think having an office in Bermuda sounds like a good idea. What do they need to know about when they're employing in Bermuda? So you hit the nail on the head that we're small. We're only 21 miles long and one mile wide. And people say, how can you survive in such a small? But we are two hours from New York, two hours from Boston, three hours from Miami. So geographically, we're positioned perfectly to do business and you can travel very easily. And two hours to Philly as well. So what do we have to look out for when we set up here? So there's two main things you've got to think about, immigration compliance, and of course, the law, which is the Governing Act, the Employment Act 2000. And that will apply to anyone employing people wholly or mainly in Bermuda. doesn't matter if you're an American company or a multinational company. If you're employing someone wholly or mainly in Bermuda, then the Governing Law, the Employment Act 2000, which has been going over 20 years now, but significant amendments in 2021, that will apply to your business. And you need to comply with it, primarily to have a statement of employment, a written contract with the fundamental terms for the employee and certain 2021 amendments you must have, for example, anti-bullying, anti-harassment policies. And if you don't have the contract or these policies, civil penalties can now be meted out to you up to $10,000 by the employment tribunal. And we'll look at what's changed recently in that. On the immigration front, you have to comply with pretty strict immigration laws that obviously we have to be protective of the local resident population with jobs because we're only 63,000. But so the Immigration and Protection Act 1956, summarizing it all, dumbing it down to get a job here, you either have to be Bermudian, a spouse of a Bermudian, we call them an SOB, a permanent resident certificate holder based on long-term residence here, or you have a work permit, which is not an immigration visa. That's something different to travel here from certain countries. We call it a work permit, and it's permission from the Minister of Labor to work here. And to get a work permit, the company must justify your hiring if you're from overseas on the basis that a qualified Bermudian or SOB, or permanent residence certificate holder has not applied, is qualified, and has applied for the job, those people will be given preference. But if they don't exist, the expatriate or foreign employee may have the job. There is a strict advertising requirement to make sure that locals get the benefit of seeing that the job's available, but that does not apply to chief positions, chief risk officer, chief CEO, the chief suite. So everybody tries to call an employee, they hire chief something to try and get around the advertising requirements. Having said all that, we do have a strict policy to protective, but government is very much, since the 2008 recession, trying to encourage companies to come here and set up. So there's a whole range of new work permit types of permits that are being given out to encourage companies to start up here, fintech companies. We have 15 digital asset licenses issued in the last couple of years. So we have lots of new, sexy global work permit 
this kind of work permit, the new business work permit, all set out in our Bermuda chapter of the ELA Global Handbook to encourage business to come here, despite our past protective policies. It sounds like a very interesting business climate balance, you know, because of all the reinsurance business, and now you've got this booming fintech and other things. So it's pro-business on that side, but yet the historical pro-employee, pro-Bermudian laws and some of the challenges you have in in advertising for expats to come in. So on balance, is it more of a pro-business climate or more of a pro-employee jurisdiction in your mind, Juliana? That's an interesting question, Pete. I'd say I'd be a lawyer and say yes to both. It's pro-business in the fact that we've realized the errors of our ways in protective immigration policies of the past and have lost thousands of expat workers here that were paying into our government pension scheme, supporting our aging population. Many of them have gone, so we're encouraging them to come back. So government, you know, as I said, has reformed immigration policy and has also set as a goal, it aims to increase our population by 8,500 in the next few years by encouraging immigration and discouraging emigration. But on the other hand, it is despite trying to attract all these new businesses with these new work permit various options, the employment tribunal, who is the person you go to if there's an employment complaint, that is very pro-employee. The June 2021 amendments to the act were very pro-employee in the sense that there are no costs awarded by the tribunal. So there's no risk to an employee taking a complaint to the tribunal, and therefore they are absolutely inundated with many, many employee complaints. Uh, The tribunal is allowed to award you if you win, mostly they're about unfair dismissals. They're allowed to award you payment in lieu of notice, the amount of notice of termination you should have gotten, plus unlike court, it's better than court in this way, you get unfair dismissal compensation. The maximum is 26 weeks wages or six months wages. And interestingly, a couple cases, now that employment tribunal decisions are being published for the first time since last year, I've just read two recent cases where they awarded the maximum 26 weeks wages to the employee in each of those cases, despite the employee being a very junior, you know, blue collar worker and only there for three months or a couple years, and everyone's throwing up their arms, and I probably have an appeal coming up for one where a similar judgment was awarded. So we're seeing awards coming out from the Employment Tribunal, which is now public for the first time. Judgments are public for the first time since 2021, and that's having a real effect on if you represent the employee, you're like, well, it's public now, I'm going to take it forward, and that's a real incentive on the part of employers to settle And of course, we represent in the ELA mostly employers, some only employers, most only employers, and you're telling your client to settle and get done with it. They're not going to recover their costs anyway, even if they win in the employment tribunal, but they don't want to be on the front page of the paper. And in a small island like that, news travels fast anyway. So being on the headline of the paper, everyone knows everyone. That's right. Yes. Well, it's very similar. Our human rights boards of inquiry hearing human rights complaints, if you don't settle or the the human rights commissioner is not able to settle the complaint, it ends up in a public board of inquiry. So even if you're not guilty of a breach of human rights, you still have a headline in the local Royal Gazette 
of employer accused of race discrimination. And that is a killer to your business. So settle, settle, settle before it goes to a public hearing. Even if you're in the right, the courts and the tribunals are clogged with bad lawyers who don't see the benefit of settling. We did talk about how difficult it is to get a job there, but yet traveling there is pretty straightforward. At least I hope it is because I plan to be coming back. Are there any specific immigration standards that we need to know about other than what you've mentioned so far that will help our audience in traveling to Bermuda? As you say, it's it's pretty easy geographically to get here. I mean, we have daily flights you know, to the East Coast and to London every day. So business travel is easy and it's wonderful. You know, you see the business commuters back and forth, you'd be in your car for two hours somewhere in the States, but they'll be on the New York flight back and forth. So we're waiting for our Boston flight to be reinstated. That's a big miss right now. But in terms of immigration standards, no, what we've set out, you know, today, we've summarized, you know, you got to make sure the qualified Bermudian gets the job. If not, you've got to justify it in the immigration application, you really should go through an immigration lawyer or immigration consultant because it is quite involved and there are lots of specific timelines and advertise on the job board. And it it can be, you know, quite a paper headache. But if you've got somebody that does it day in and day out, you know, like our consultant does, then you'll be fine. But look at all the new types of work permits that are being issued. A fun thing is the digital nomad certificate that has really helped our local economy, whereby if you were trapped in COVID, for example, in a cold place, maybe studying at Harvard, uh, students and workers for overseas companies, not Bermuda, are allowed to come here and get a digital nomad certificate to live here for a year and work or study for somewhere abroad. And that really boosted and stimulated our economy because apartments were rented and taxis were hired and really took off. You're not allowed to work for a local company doing that. But that that was a really good immigration policy that brought people here spending money on the island. Yeah, that would have been something I would have definitely taken advantage of <laughs> back in the day. Well, Juliana, as always, it's great to chat with you. I see you at some of our global conferences. And of course, great to see you on the internet today. But I will see you again on the back of that fishing boat sometime (laughs) soon, I hope. We're grateful for this opportunity. Thank you. And Bermuda welcomes you, everyone. Thanks so much, Juliana. If you'd like to connect with Juliana, you can find her bio by clicking on her name in the description of this podcast. Please visit ela.law to receive invitations to our upcoming webinars, download white papers, get access to on-demand content from our online library, or use the ELA's exclusive Global Employer Handbook. You've been listening to Employment Matters, a podcast brought to you by the Employment Law Alliance, the world's largest network of labor and employment lawyers from the best law firms around the globe. I'm Pete Waltz. Thanks so much for listening.